been talking about dating and uh, romance and relationships. We're laying out some ground rules for real romance. Uh, every week we're laying out a different ground rule. Number seven is this week's ground rule. The ground rule is very simply, people can change. People can change. Very important ground rule for discovering real romance in your life and in your relationships. People can change. Today's question that we're tackling, every week we have a different question. Today's question is, what are my deal breakers? What are my deal breakers? If you're not familiar with a deal breaker, here's the definition. A deal breaker is the catch that a particular individual cannot overlook and ultimately outweighs any redeeming qualities that the individual may possess. And so you, this is uh, UrbanDictionary.com, uh, super reputable. Um, so that's what... Uh, that's where I got that definition. I know most of y'all already knew what a, what a deal breaker was, but I just thought I'd fill in some of the rest of you. It's that one thing you just can't get past. And it's not just for people that are dating. Today's sermon is about dating in particular, but, but it's not just about dating. It's about any relationship, any, any, even marriage. You have your deal breakers. Everybody that's married knows what your deal breakers are. You probably remind your spouse of your deal breakers all the time. <laughs> like everybody's got these deal breakers. And so the question is, what are they? And what should they be? A few weeks ago, I spent some time at the lake up in Arkansas with my family. I just needed to get out of Houston for a while. You ever got that feeling? Got to get out of Houston. I love the city, but man, it'll eat you alive if you don't get out of it once in a while. And so we went to, Houston, we went to Arkansas and spent some time at the lake. Uh, one night uh, after putting the kids to bed, I went out by myself and sat on the dock overlooking the water, the lake. And it was like complete darkness except for in the sky. The sky was full of stars, and there was a full moon. But other than that, total darkness. But even though it was dark all around me, I knew I wasn't alone. Because this is what I heard. You hear it? There it is. The sounds of a summer night. I was familiar with these sounds when I grew up out in the country of East Texas. I am not as familiar with the sounds that you hear now uh, at this point in my life, now that I live in Montrose. We have different sounds of summer nights now that I live in Montrose. But it was so relaxing, so calming, I thought to myself as I sat on that dock over that lake and I could hear fish jumping up once in a while, the water lapping up on the shore, these sounds of crickets and grasshoppers and cicadas, locusts and frogs. It just soothed my soul. This, I thought, this is what it's all about. This is, the be- this is nature at its best. And this is exactly what my soul needed, I thought to myself, as I sat outside under the stars listening to these sounds. I needed to get out of Houston. I needed to think about something other than single people and the uh, hookup culture and the dating world for just a minute. I had to clear my head as I was knee-deep in, in preparations for this series. I just got to think about something else. But then the more I sat there, the more I listened to these sounds of summer, the more I realized that every single sound I could hear, every single sound you're hearing right now is basically some guy posting his profile. Every single sound that you can hear every cricket, every grasshopper, every cicada, every frog is basically some guy of some species saying to all the women within earshot, hey, I'm available. I'm over here. That's what this is. This is nature's version of tender. The summer night sounds and all these insects and reptiles are all swiping. 
Each other, like they, they have different criteria and different ways of swiping, but basically this is nature's hookup culture. And I was slightly disturbed by that, you know. The, the crickets that you hear, they're just the guys, the guy crickets, the girl crickets, they don't sing. They don't play music. They just listen. And the guys, they, they play their song. So the, the loudest sound that you hear right now is boy crickets playing their songs for the girl crickets within earshot. And the boy crickets, they don't have a pattern to go by. They don't play some song that's deeply in their DNA that every cricket knows. They make up a song. And they make up a different song for every different girl they like. Isn't that amazing? This is true. I'm not making this up. Crickets make up a different song for every girl cricket they're fond of. If they're really fond and ready to hang out with the girl, they will also chirp. And once in a while you can hear the chirp. They'll play by rubbing their wings together like a, like a musical instrument. And if they really like a girl, they'll chirp. And then the girl, Cricket, gets to make a decision based on all the different boy crickets that she can hear playing their songs and singing to her. And she gets to make a decision. Which one of these boys' crickets that she likes the most? Which one she wants to spend the night with? Which one she wants to have five to ten little cricket babies with? The next day, that's how it works in the cricket world. It's quick. It's quick. But she gets to make that call. And, and, and if, if she doesn't like that cricket song, she's out. If she doesn't like that cricket's voice, that chirp, she's out. If that cricket happens to be her brother or her half-brother, which happens in the natural world, she will know by his chirp and she's out. This is true. True story. She will be out. And this, I realize every cricket has her deal breaker. Every as do every grasshopper girl. Every girl grasshopper has her deal breakers. So uh, in the grasshopper world, the girl will look for this orange stripe on the guy's head. And if a guy has the right kind of orange stripe, if it's just orange enough and just the right size, then, then that will be the guy that she, you know, takes home. Or, or grasshopper girls also are drawn more to the grasshopper guys who have already built themselves a home. For their family to live in. Not even joking. Not even joking. But it's a little surprising how closely related we are to the grasshopper world. Because the grasshopper girls, they want a guy that don't live with mama, that he doesn't rent somewhere. Like he got a place. Like he's deep in his own house, right? And so they make these choices based on their deal breakers. Now, this was a good reminder to me. Because I can be sometimes harsh about people and their deal breakers. I can be sometimes dismissive about single people and their deal breakers on the dating scene. And I confess, I've been dismissive of some of those. Um, and I've even made jokes about some of those in um, sermons. This was a good reminder. Deal breakers are a perfectly natural, normal thing for us. It's perfectly natural, perfectly normal for people to have our deal breakers, just like grasshoppers and crickets do in the, in the, the natural world. So when dating... People are going to have deal breakers. So sometimes I know I can be harsh. The reason I'm harsh about deal breakers is because I don't think we have our criteria right sometimes. Sometimes I think we know we should have deal breakers, but we sort of make a mistake when we decide what they are and what they aren't. Uh, my bias is toward potential. Y'all know this by now. I believe we Christians should be all about potential. We should look at someone and see what God sees, not what the world sees. We should see beyond some of the facade, some of the, the shortcomings a person might have and see potential. And I think that's exactly how we're wired uh, to be as Christians with our true identity. So I want to caution single people especially to not be too snobby 
To not be too picky when looking for the one. You don't look for the finished product. You look for the raw materials. The raw materials underneath the veneer, the facade, the outside, that the raw materials that you and God can work with together to bring about this person's potential. That's what you're looking for. And the problem is when we set our deal breakers too high, our standards are too high, then we will miss out on some really great stuff. We'll miss out on some, some really amazing gospel opportunities to bring about someone's potential. And the reason why this point is so important to me personally and close to my heart, it's obvious. It's because this is what I looked like the day Giovanna met me. I realize I'm not exactly Harry Styles now, but I think I've come a long way in the last 20 years. I used to shave my head just because I didn't care what you think about me, and I was so skinny. I don't know why I was so skinny, but you could see my ribs through my skin when I took my shirt off, and you could uh, tell I had an acne problem, real oily skin. I didn't have acne all over, but, man, when I had acne, I had acne. It was, it was bad, and uh, Giovanna thought they were lesions, and so she worried that I had some kind of disease or something. <laughs> she was worried about my health when we met. She didn't tell me that until later, but... It, <laughs> It explained a lot about her lack of receptivity to my initial advances. And I dressed like I didn't care because I really didn't. I was lactose intolerant, but I didn't know it. And so I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who was lactose intolerant after they had a lot of milk. Um, but I'm from the country. I, I was raised around dairy farms, and so I, that's all I knew was to drink milk. I didn't realize I was lactose intolerant. I just thought I was gassy. And so... You can imagine the horrors, the smells and sounds and, and uh, my breath. It was all off, you know, it was all off. And it's amazing to me that through all of that, Giovanna saw some raw materials that she could work with, that she and God together could work on over time. She saw those, she chose to see those and not what was on the outside, thank God. And if she, if she hadn't done that, I wouldn't be standing here today, I'm sure. We certainly wouldn't be here together. And look, if I'm honest, there were things about her as well that I had to initially look past. So um, she was a little more of a finished product than I was, but there were some wounds from her past. There were, there were some, there were some uh, scars. There were some insecurities. There were some abandonment issues that sometimes, I don't know, this made her unpleasant to, to be around. And she was volatile sometimes. And uh, I've said before, I was passive-aggressive and she was aggressive-aggressive. And some, some of that... Some of that could have been deal breakers had we chosen for those things to be deal breakers. But I was fairly certain at the time that God was giving me a vision, that God gave me a vision, not of who she was today, but who she could become. The kind of woman, the kind of woman and person that God could make her into over time. And God could use me to help that process along. And so I don't want you to get the impression that just because two people seem happy together and they've got a happy life that they just got lucky. That they're just lucky in love and they just fell into this, you know, happy marriage. That's not how it works. I know from experience and many other people can attest to this. People that seem the happiest are the ones who've been through the most and forgiven the most and look, in pa look past most of what could have been deal breakers. And they've seen it through. They've trusted God. They've trusted God's vision. I trusted God's vision for who my wife could become. And over the last 20 years, I have had a front row seat to watch God make over her heart. And that's the best stuff there is. That's gospel stuff. 
That's the beautiful part of marriage is that you get to see the gospel unfolding before you in the life of your spouse, changing them in ways you never imagined possible. This is real life, real gospel stuff, and it is the best case scenario for people who are dating. Two people who are dating mutually agreeing to trust God's vision for who that other person can become, to trust that vision, to live into that vision because God changes people. Because people can change. But the, the question we're really asking today is, of course God can change people, but where's the line? Where's the line between, you know, I, I, I can accept this because I know God can change people. Between that and I will never be able to accept this, even though I know God can change people. <laughs> There's some things I can't accept. Where is that line? Why is it there? What do we call our deal breakers as followers of Jesus? The truth is, you guys, there's no clear guideline. It's all subjective. We all kind of just do our best to pin down what these deal breakers should be for us as we follow Jesus and as we date. Most of you all know I'm not a big fan of online dating advice. Um, 90-something percent of it is just the worst advice you could possibly be given. And it's no wonder why so many people are struggling on the dating scene with this advice uh, so prevalent out there. Like on the uh, Huffington Post, I found a dating advice around, uh, around deal breakers. Huffington Post dating site says, for example, if you love cats and your date doesn't, end it. On a first date, if you love cats and your date doesn't love cats, just don't even think about a second date. It's over. Just call time of death and don't waste your time with that person. Another uh, deal breaker on HuffPo was if you prefer a smooth chest, if a really smooth chest does it for you and you go to the beach with your new man and you discover he's got a really hairy chest, that's an understandable deal breaker. It's okay to just walk away because you're going to have to live with that for the rest of your life, a really hairy chest when all you wanted was a smooth one. You know, uh, these kinds of things people are reading about. And I know most of it's silly and joking, but I'm like, does anyone really take this seriously and break up with somebody over a super hairy chest? And so I get really judgmental. But I have to recognize my own hypocrisy too and see how subjective it all is. Because if you reversed either of those situations, <laughs> if you hate cats and you figure out that your date loves cats, I can see you walking away. <laughs> I, I, to me, it's conceivable. Or if you're a guy and you discover your date, your girlfriend has a really hairy chest. I don't, I don't know, maybe. So maybe I should stop judging Huffington Post. I don't know. I don't know. I just know it's really subjective. And so I want to empathize with people struggling on the dating scene to know where these lines should be drawn. I want to recognize that we're all kind of doing our best here, all trying to use our best judgment, trying to go to Scripture as much as possible, to the Bible, to decide what constitutes a real um, deal breaker and what maybe shouldn't. I want to blow through three things real quick that I don't think should be deal breakers. And you can take it or leave it. Um, this is just my opinion, but also rooted in some of the Bible-based conversations we've been having during this series. First of all, I don't think a lack of fire should be a deal breaker. 
lack of fire, lack of passion, lack of physical attraction in the beginning. The only reason I don't think lack of fire should be a deal breaker is because I've known way too many couples that had white hot fire in the beginning of their relationship and then they didn't anymore one day and that was all they ever had to begin with. And when that's gone, there's nothing left. And anyone that starts out white hot, passionate, super into each other, lots of chemistry, I mean, Let's be real, it doesn't last. That kind of thing doesn't last. But on the flip side, I've also known a lot of couples that just started out as friends or that started out dating without really much of a spark and he didn't really make a move for like six months and you're wondering like why is he not into me or whatever. Like you have all of these chemistry issues early on but when you love her so well and she loves you so well for long enough, you find yourself growing deeper in love and, and the spark is there when it wasn't before. But you wouldn't know it if it was a deal breaker on the first date. And so I think we have to be very careful not caving to our society's idolatry of sexual attraction. We're going to miss out on something really great if we do. Second, I think a lack of funds, a lack of funds is not a, is not a reason to break it off. A lack of funds. And here's why I do understand some of the concerns that some pe single people have about money. I think it's real money is a real issue and nobody wants to struggle financially for the rest of your life. I totally get it. But does that fear of struggling with money, does that mean that it's a deal breaker if a woman you're on a date with grew up in a trailer park? Or she's from a less than wealthy home? Or she grew up in poverty? Does it mean it's a deal breaker if the man you're dating is in sales instead of medicine or instead of being a lawyer, you know? Uh, I, I think we really have to get serious about asking ourselves these questions and not being superficial and shallow about it. Because we all know deep down that a person's heart matters more than their holdings do. And, and a person's potential should matter more than his or her portfolio. And so instead of asking what's her family worth, we should be asking how hard does she work? How committed is she to becoming the best version of herself? Instead of asking, how much does he make? Maybe we should be asking, how does he handle the money that he does have? And if he doesn't have a lot of it, how does he handle it? Is he responsible with it? Is he frugal with it? Does he save money, even in singleness? Is he already wise enough to be setting aside money for a future family, for his future life, potentially with you? Does he already save? Or does he just party and travel and have fun and drink? How does he spend his money? And if he has a lot of money, if, if all of his money was just kind of given to him, if he's from one of those families that just have a lot of money, it's totally cool. It may not be a deal breaker, but watch out if he expresses to you a sense of entitlement about money. Because that's the stuff that will come back to get you later. If he's not grateful for what he has and he's just entitled and thinks the world should be given to him. That's the kind of character questions we should be asking. And not just what a person has today. Third, and finally, these are not deal breakers, a lack of form, a lack of form. This is the most difficult to explain, but it's actually the most common deal breaker that I heard from single people at the story as I did my interviews with some of y'all. By form, I mean someone's way of being, the way they enter a room, their personal manners, their manner of speaking, their accent, where they're from, how they dress, their style, these kinds of form issues. And I'm, I'm very big about this, not being a deal breaker, because to pull back from my own story here, Giovanna grew up a city girl with a lot of the finer things in life. And the opera and nice restaurants and seafood and all, all this uh, stuff that to me growing up, frankly, was, I mean, I had seafood, but it was tuna in a can. And, 
I'm not playing that poor guy card, but like that's what I grew up with in Red Lick, Texas. We didn't get our seafood fresh daily, you know, like it was uh, out in the sticks and I was country poor. I've got friends in low places was my theme song. It was my mantra. Like that was, it was a Friday Night Lights kind of a, kind of a culture that I came from. I met Giovanna. She started taking me to restaurants that didn't have sizzling in the name. And this was different. <laughs> it was different for me. She told me it's El Chico, not El Chico's. I had no idea. I had no idea. I thought there was an S at the end. And she tried to get me to eat sushi and portobello mushrooms and all this stuff that I had never seen or eaten before. And all I wanted was a Whataburger. And, and then I would take her to Red Lick. And when I took her to Red Lick, in my opinion, she was the one that showed poor form. You know, she wouldn't uh, enjoy Friday night football games. And she refused to eat my grandmother's grits, which was the worst thing. The worst thing you could do to my grandma, to my family. Like this greatest insult, don't eat granny's grits. There's something wrong with you. And, and my family let me know that there's something wrong with her, you know, for not eating the grits. But we stuck it out. We stuck it out. And here's what happens. It's the weirdest thing that you will ever experience in this life. It's miraculous. It's weird. Because she loved me so well, I became more like her. And because I loved her so well, even through all the stuff, she wanted to become more like me. And so now, now I'm the sushi-eating city mouse. And now all she wants to do is go to the lake and get out of the city and eat some grits. That's all she wants to do. I can't get her to stop eating grits now. True story. She doesn't eat a lot. I'm just, I'm, uh. <laughs> the point is, lack of form should not be a deal breaker. That's the easiest stuff to change. Just love a person well. Love a person well. Be good to them. And you will see the lack of form begin to change. Now, those three things, fire, funds, and form, are not deal breakers. I want to talk about three things they are. And fascinatingly, all three also start with F. You guys are going to be so proud of me today. All six keywords start with F. So I'm your F word guy today, so I guess. So what are deal breakers? The first, you probably expect to hear me say, a lack of faith. A lack of faith is going to be a problem under certain circumstances as your relationship unfolds. Uh, I used to think this passage I'm about to read is outdated and judgmental back in the day. Now I read it differently. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Now, I used to think it was rude for Christians to say, well, you can only date Christians if you're a Christian. I used to think it was outmoded for a pastor to stand up and go, you know, Christian singles, y'all should only be dating Christians. And I still think we need a little bit of nuance there. But I got to tell you, I kind of get it. I kind of get it now. Because I have counseled too many couples for whom faith has become the central issue of division between them. Now, don't get me wrong. It's possible for you to be a Christian, to call yourself a Christian, and then to date someone who wants nothing to do with Christianity. It's possible for you to marry that person only so long as you have no desire to take your faith very seriously. As long as you're comfortable being a nominal Christian. As long as you're okay with being a lukewarm kind of a believer who comes around on Christmas Eve and, and uh, Easter maybe and some uh, other weeks during the year. But, but really you just, you just kind of want to be a, 
uh, moral, good person, kind of a churchgoer and not go deeper in your life with Jesus. But what inevitably happens is that if you start to access Jesus and his kingdom more and more, he wants more of you. And he will compel you to give more of yourself to his cause because there's nothing else in the world like it. And you will begin to feel led to go deeper in your faith. You cannot remain stagnant in your faith. You're always going somewhere. And as you go deeper in your faith, that person you're with, that person who sort of understood that you were always going to stay at the same level, a Christmas Eve and Easter Christian, sort of a Christian by name only, that person starts to feel baited and switched. Such that when you start to say at a restaurant, honey, would would you mind if we started praying before every meal? She just rolls her eyes at you. She condescends you. Or if you say, honey, I really think we should spend part of our tax return this year on Jubilee Prison Ministries. I want to bless the prisoners, our brothers in white, or our sisters in white on the inside. And, you know, he says to you, I really had that $1,000 earmarked already for our next trip or for my next, my next fishing boat or for Las Vegas or whatever, whatever it is. I already had that money spent, and now you're telling me we're going to give it away to some cause I don't even really believe in. That's where the rubber meets the road. You really have to make these decisions early on in a relationship and decide whether it's a deal breaker. Now, now listen. Sometimes people that say they're Christians are not. And sometimes people that don't identify as Christian can be very close to Jesus. And so I want you to hear me. You have to be very careful when deciding whether this is a deal breaker and how it's a deal breaker. So many single women here said that the creepiest, weirdest dating apps are the Christian ones. All the Christian guys. They're the ones that say they're Christian and then you say you're not going to sleep with them and they don't talk to you anymore. That kind of thing happens all the time. And so it's not about what label they use on their profile. It's about who they are. So you kind of have to spend some time before drawing that line in the sand, discovering who they really are. So you talk about it with this person that you're dating. Maybe you don't agree on everything, but you make it clear what you believe and why. Look, that's why we spend all this time on Sundays talking about issues like God and science, like how to make sense of the Bible, like the difference between gospel and religion, so that y'all will know how to talk to people that you might be dating or friends with out there. You'll know the right questions to ask. You can have these conversations, and then if the person that you're with expresses any openness whatsoever to your faith, if they express an openness at least to go to church with you, maybe go to your small group, your chapter, with you to go to serve a church under the bridge with you, if they're not cynical and skeptical about your desire to know Jesus more, if they go and ask questions, man, that kind of openness tells you a lot about who they really are. And a lot of times it's those people that you can continue dating and you can trust Jesus will compel them to follow him one day too. If they express that kind of openness, you can trust Jesus with them. But many of you know the other side of that equation is someone who is so bitter about religion. They are so turned off by church or organized religion or Christianity or God that all they will do is condescend you. They will criticize you for your beliefs. They will make you feel stupid or less than for your prayers or your habits, going to church. And if that's the kind of spirit you get from someone you're dating, that's where the deal breaker comes in. That has to be where you draw the line. Lack of faith. The second thing I want to say is lack of fidelity. Deal breaker. Lack of fidelity. Now, 
You've heard the phrase, once a cheater, always a cheater. How many of y'all believe once a cheater, always a cheater? All right. Everybody with their hand up has been cheated on. All right. So <laughs> I used to believe this phrase, truly. Um, clearly I don't anymore. Today's mantra is, uh, the ground rule is people can change. I think this, the same is true for cheaters. And people who are unfaithful in romantic relationships can, can change. The reason I know this is because some of the best husbands that I know, some of them I call friends today, were at one point in their past unfaithful to their wives. Once they slipped, they messed up. But they saw the error of their ways. They saw what they did wrong. They learned from their mistakes. They saw the light and they truly, genuinely sought to change who they are. And you could see the change in them. You could see how much more attentive they were to their wife, to their kids, to their life with Jesus. You could see the change. And so some people do turn around, but, but you will find people on the dating scene who are serial deceivers, who are compulsive cheaters. And it's not always about sleeping around. It could be, but it could just be about compulsive flirting. People that you're not enough for them. They're always going to be flirting with other people, whether or not they see it through. It could be about pornography, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It could be about lies around money or drugs or alcohol use. If you keep finding these lies, you keep discovering these half-truths, you have a compulsive deceiver on your hands. Here's how you know the difference. Here's how you know the difference. The difference between the ones who change and the serial cheaters is authentic humility. Authentic humility. It is accountability. So if someone's unfaithful to you in any of the ways that I mentioned earlier, if someone's unfaithful to you and you call them out on it, if they are essentially broken by that, if their life cannot go on with this guilt and this shame that they feel until they deal with it, if they're truly sorry and, and they say, look, I'm sorry, I'm sick, I need help, and then they follow through and get the help so you know it's not just lip service, that is a salvageable situation. And sometimes those situations can be the foundation for something so much more beautiful, so much deeper of a connection in your relationship. But when somebody cheats or deceives you, and their only response to you is, hey, it didn't mean anything. It was, it was three weeks ago. What, you got to get over it. You know, what's, what's wrong with you? Everybody cheats. Everybody messes up. What's wrong with you? That kind of language, um, borderline emotionally or psychologically abusive language, that's deal breaker stuff, pretty much uh, carte blanche, no questions asked. All right? The third thing I want to say to everyone's surprise is that a deal breaker is a lack of friendship. A lack of friendship. I am such a believer in the foundation of a healthy relationship being friendship. Now listen, if your relationship, you're, the person that you're dating, if there is nothing about that relationship that says friendship, if all you have together is something physical, or all you have is this weird dynamic where you just fight and make up, fight and make up, fight, and it's just this volatile thing. Or a really good indicator is if your friends don't want to be around you when you're around that person. Man, you might, have a, you might have a friendship problem, a friendship deficit on your hands. If you're not making an effort to become better friends. Because friendship is fuel to the fire in a romantic relationship. I've shared with you all a few ways of finding out whether someone's really friendship material before. If you're new, you may not know 
about the brick house test. The brick house test, very simple. On your way home from your next date with that person, if you want to know if they're friendship material, just turn on the song by the Commodores, Brick House. And you tee it up for that person and you go, she's a brick. That's a friend right there. Whoever said that, Jade, I got a friend in you, baby. But it, if the person that you're with just leaves you hanging or they roll their eyes, I mean, this is your pastor telling you no matter what time of day it is, no matter what neighborhood you're in, just drop them off on the street. Wherever you are, it doesn't even matter. Just let them be dead to you. They are not friendship material because they didn't pass the brick house test. That test does not apply to people under the age of 25. Because it's not fair, you may not know that song. <laughs> friends, true friends will say three things to you. They will say, are you good? Are you good? They'll check in with you randomly. They will make sure you're okay. They'll text you when you don't expect it to say, you good? Friends say, you good? And then they say, you're good. Which means, I forgive you or I affirm you or I believe in you. You're good. And friends will tell you that you're better than that. Friends will hold you accountable, they will hold you to a higher standard, they will make you a better person. Now, so far in this series, it's been all about practical tips, practical dating advice. This is our last five minutes talking about dating. After this, we're moving on to committed relationships. And so I got one more thing I got to say to people that are dating and not yet in a committed relationship, people that still call themselves single before we move on next week. The one thing I got to tell you is that every single date that you go on is a gospel opportunity. Every single date you go on is a gospel opportunity. It is a chance to communicate to the person you're with and to the world around you the love and grace and light of Jesus Christ. And I know that this makes people a little bit weird because it sounds like I'm telling you to be preachy. I am not telling you to be preachy. In fact, that is the last thing I want you to do. Because it's the preachy Christians that have caused the problem that we're in to begin with. Because most of the people that you go on dates with will have all sorts of misinformation about who Jesus really is, what the gospel really is, what God is really about, what church is really for. They'll have all these, these preconceived false notions because of preachy Christians in their face all their lives. Don't be just another preachy Christian. You don't even have to say the word gospel. To live it. And what I want you to know, single friends, is that it's not like we make it seem sometimes like marriage is the goal you have in life and singleness is just this state of uh, incompletion. No. No, sharing the gospel is the goal in this life. And God has you at this season of your life strategically positioned to share the gospel, especially with young adults in our city of Houston who have all these false ideas about who he is, what he thinks about them, and what he has for them to do. A gospel opportunity is not preaching the gospel, preaching to a person or like giving them a tract and you know with all the instructions on how to say the sinner's prayer and all the stuff that Christians have done in the past. A gospel opportunity is knowing that the person sitting in front of you has a story to tell, a story that they've lived that you know nothing about. And so even if there's already a deal breaker on date one, even if you know there won't be a date two, you treat that person like a human being. You don't throw them further under the bus. You don't make them feel worse about themselves. You recognize that even the stuff you don't like about this person, there's a story behind it. Just like you had a story when Jesus found you. And he loved you anyway. 
I'm not saying you got to keep dating that person, but you better treat him like a human being. And you better pray. I pray that every single person you go on a date with is a little bit closer to Jesus than before they met you. By the end of that date, they know a little bit more about the love and grace and mercy of God than they did before. And some of those miscommunications, those misinformation about the gospel, that it goes away. Sharing the gospel means being humble about yourself and being humble with others. Like Jesus said, don't judge others or you'll be judged. Don't just go after what's wrong with everybody else. Figure out what needs to be right about yourself. Fix yourself first and be humble about yourself first and then help someone else. Single people, you are in a unique position to impact the world. I think it all comes down to this. Single brothers and sisters, please hear this. We have to ask the question, are you a single person who happens to go to church or are you a follower of Jesus who happens to be single? Is your first priority finding the one or is your first priority following Jesus? And I hope that that answer is clear. I know it may ring hollow coming from a happily married, you know, man. And I, I feel like I, I have to walk carefully here talking to people that are really struggling with their singleness. But listen. I believe God wants to give you all the desires of your heart. But for right now, for today, he has placed you as missionaries in a sometimes hostile mission field where there are more unbelievers than there are believers. And you are uniquely positioned to make a difference. So single brothers, single sisters, see that as your first priority. See every day as a gospel opportunity. Go and make a difference in the city of Houston.